Yo, season two, here we go. This is Albert Tate, Albert Tate Podcast. So excited that you jumped on. Listen, this whole season, episode after episode, is designed to encourage you, designed to lift you up, designed to inspire your soul. So thank you so much for tuning in. Ride with me. It's got, I mean, oh man, I'm so excited. Got some great content. Got some guests coming up. That's going to be phenomenal. Season one was a lot about me um, interviewing guests and talking about moments that shaped their life. And I hope that it would inspire you as you see moments that shaped your life and how that impacted you. Season uh, one and a half remix was so fun. Oh my goodness. Because I got a chance to talk about the conversations I had in season one. So if you haven't gone back to check those out, they got great shelf life, baby. Go check it out. It will inspire your soul. In the meantime, as we prayed and got ready to start season two, um, this season is all about uh, you being encouraged. Um, the theme of this season is the waiting room. Uh, in each episode, I'm going to encourage you for those of you that may be navigating a waiting room. Uh <sighs> There are moments in our journey with God when we find ourselves just waiting, waiting for a new season, waiting for a storm to end, uh, waiting to get better because this season has been so discouraging, um, waiting to grow in a marriage and for a breakthrough in a marriage. Some of you are waiting on a marriage to end. Some of you are waiting on a new career, a new opportunity. And there are just seasons when you're walking with God where you just find yourself waiting. And I don't know about you, but a lot of times we don't know what to do in the waiting. We don't know how to act. We don't know how to how to believe, how to how to doubt, how to struggle. We're just trying to figure out how to be because we're stuck in the waiting room and we don't know what to do. This season is all about encouraging you in the waiting room. So if you got friends that are in a waiting season, if you're in a waiting season, I'm gonna tell you something right now. You say, well, Albert, you didn't lost me because I ain't in no waiting season. Stick around. You'll be in one soon enough. And this will equip you and help you to know how to navigate it. So here we go. Season two, the waiting room. <laughs> Thank you for being a friend. Travel down the road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant. If you threw a party and invited everyone you knew, you would see the biggest gift would be from me and the card attached would say thank you for being a friend dun, 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 dun. 7:47, climbing through the sunrise ah if you were born in the if you were living in the 90s not born in the 90s if you were around in the 90s you know that that's the theme song from the golden girls it is it is the essence of friendship uh, if you ever are at a party and you want to have a corny moment with your friends uh corny corny or cheesy whichever one if you're lactose intolerant we'll stick with the corn but it's the, if you want to have a moment like that you pull that song out and everybody starts singing along like some of you just did now uh this song captures the very essence of Jesus' relationship with Mary, Martha, 
and Lazarus. <laughs> they were friends. They hung out together. They spent time together, um, shared meals together. They laughed together. I'd imagine they cried together. All indicators show that they had a great friendship. As a matter of fact, Mary is the same Mary that washed Jesus's feet with her tears with this beautiful alabaster box of perfume. Listen, let me tell you something. You wash my feet. We friends, Jack. We friends. They were friends. So in the Bible, in the book of John chapter 11, it wasn't a crisis. Um, and it wasn't even a panic when Mary said, and Martha sent the message to Jesus and says, the one whom you love, Lazarus, is sick. They weren't worried because they knew that Jesus was going to come take care of their friend. They were friends. They'd seen Jesus heal people he didn't even know. So Lazarus, his boy, is sick. They knew Jesus was going to be on the way. Jesus gets the word and something very interesting happens. Jesus finds out his friend is sick, and Jesus says, this is not unto death. He's just sleeping, and he stays another two days. He says, it is good for Lazarus. He is not dying. He will only go to sleep and he stays because he loved him. He stays another two days. Well, if you're a Bible reader or been around church for a little while, you you know how this story goes. Lazarus dies. His friend Jesus, who could heal him, waits and Lazarus dies. One of the first lessons as we think about being in the waiting room of life, in waiting seasons with God, Mary and Martha are waiting on Jesus to come and Lazarus's life is dependent upon it. They're literally waiting and Jesus stays where he is another two days. One of the first lessons I learned, one of the first things that sticks out in my mind is that Jesus has no problem with making you wait. Jesus has no problem with making you wait. As a matter of fact, he is comfortable and confident in making you wait. He ain't in a rush. He ain't in a hurry. He is okay with creating a waiting room for you. I think one of the most frustrating things in this passage, and you'll see it when Mary and Martha uh, show up on the scene, they're so frustrated because Jesus not only made them wait, but while waiting, their brother dies. Makes me think about my own life and how comfortable Jesus is with allowing us to wait. Sometimes we flood heaven like, man, Jesus, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, and come on, Jesus, come on through. And Jesus, there's no crisis in heaven. He's not panicking. He's not freaking out. So just because you're freaking out doesn't mean Jesus is. Just because you're in a crisis doesn't mean you can bring Christ into your crisis and try to get him to panic and, and freak out. He's not freaking out. 
So the first word of encouragement for those of you that find yourself in a waiting room, here's a public announcement. Heaven is not in crisis. Heaven is not freaking out. Jesus is not panicking. He's good with you having to wait. He's good with you being in the waiting room. He ain't tripping. He ain't frustrated. He ain't brokenhearted that you're in the waiting room. He is okay with you being in the waiting room. He may be brokenhearted about some of the sins, some of the things that cause it, some, but he is okay with you being right there. So if he's okay, maybe the first thing you need to do is say, okay, I need to be okay with being in this waiting room. One of the big things is if you're not okay, it ain't like it's going to hurry up your ability to get out of the waiting room anyway. So the first thing is just be okay. If he's okay with you being there, what does it mean for you to be okay? Jesus waits and he says, you know what? This waiting, this crisis, even when he finds out that Lazarus is dead. Check this out. They're supposed to be friends. Jesus, talking to his disciples, he says, Lazarus is dead and I am glad. What kind of friend is this? What? What do you mean? Lazarus is dead and you glad, Jesus? And then Jesus was like, he's asleep. And then they was like, no, I think he's dead. It's like, no, he's asleep and I'm glad. I'm glad he's dead. I'm glad he's asleep because this is going to give me an opportunity to show you the glory of God. Could this be an opportunity? Could this be an opportunity for you to see the glory of God? We um had uh, three children and my seven-year-old son really, really, really wanted a brother. And uh, we really, really didn't want to have any more children. Um, but we kind of were open to it. And my wife ended up getting pregnant. We still don't don't know how it happened. Um, uh, tequila, maybe. We almost named the baby te- Tequila in honor of the consummation. I'm just kidding. I don't <laughs> No, no, no. Uh, but, like, we ended up getting pregnant. And when we found out it was a boy, and we were so excited, um... And then my son, Isaac, he hears that he's having a little brother. He's probably about six or five at the time. Um, he's seven now. He he finds out he's having a little brother and yell. He's like, um, he's he's excited. And after touching mommy's belly, after we have this talk, he looks and says, so, so when do I get to play with him? <laughs> he didn't understand the process. He He thought... We was about to have he's about to have a little brother next week and they was gonna be out there on tricycles running around. It's like, no, you gotta wait. And to be honest, it was a real frustration to him. He was really frustrated. Every other day he would be asking, When can I play with my brother? When can I play with my brother? And I recognized that <laughs> that we created a little waiting room for Isaac. For my son, he's sitting there in the waiting room waiting on his brother and he's frustrated because he wants to play. He's got a timeline, he's ready to get out there, he's ready to do it. But guess what? As his dad, I was very comfortable with making Isaac wait. I He got to wait nine months. There's nothing I can do. I wasn't tempted to go to the doctor and say, hey, can we do this C-section early? How quickly can we get this baby out? Can we get the baby out early? My son is really frustrated and he really wants to play with his little brother. He really wants his brother home. So can we speed up the process? As his father, I lovingly knew the best thing for him 
was for him to wait on his little brother. I knew because he didn't have a full understanding of the process. And watch this. I didn't feel compelled to sit down and unpack the biological implications of what it means and how it works for the baby to be developed in order for him to be able to have something to play with. I didn't feel the need to sit and unpack it, number one, because if I told him everything I knew about the situation and what was to come and what was about to change, he couldn't understand it anyway. I hope you see where I'm going with this. I hope you see me coming. I hope if I if you get it early, I, the podcast could be five minutes shorter. Here's the deal. Your heavenly father has designed a space for you to sit and wait on him. And not only is he comfortable with waiting, but he knows that he's up to something bigger than you can imagine, up to something bigger than you can see. So he has a process and it is his prerogative not to sit down and give you line by line, detail by detail, the elements of the process. Some of you, your prayer life, it ain't even you just all about, Lord, just show me the next step. Just show me to this. Show me to that. He's like, if I showed you all of it, you couldn't even understand it. So chill, step back and trust that your heavenly father is comfortable with you being in this season where you are. And maybe his comfort level is not based off of him being some vindictive God, him being some angry, power hungry God, him being some God that's got his thumb on your neck trying to force you into. No, no, no. no. Could it be that he's a loving father who recognizes that although you're frustrated with the timeline, he's doing something greater than you could see or even understand. And in the fullness of time. According to his divine will, he will deliver exactly what you need, exactly how you need it, exactly where you need it to be, because he's a good, good father. And your waiting room doesn't have to be a war room with God. Your waiting room can be this place where you stop, take a deep breath, and you realize God may be up to something bigger than what I could see. The disciples didn't see it, but Jesus says, Lazarus is dead and I am glad because this is an opportunity for God to get glory. What if your waiting room is an opportunity for God to get glory? He shows up and he gets there. And Martha comes out and the way I read the text, you may not read it this way, but I read the text as she is upset. I hear uh, I hear a frustration and an anger in her tone. You have been so mad. You have been so mad that you wish the person would ask you why you mad like you like you got a speech already ready and you've been practicing the speech. You be sitting in your mirror. I wish he would say something to me, because if he say this, then I'm going to say that. And I'm going to say that and your kid be like, Mama, who are you talking to? And you'd be like an opportunity, an opportunity to get somebody told. I wish they would say something. I'm telling you, Jesus, walk up. Martha's speech was already ready. She walked up and she immediately says it. Listen to the accusation. Listen to the harshness of the words. If you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus is your fault. Your fault that I'm here. Your fault that I'm broken. It's your fault that my heart is in pieces. Jesus, you did this. Hear the accusation. Hear the tone. Jesus comes and he says, your brother isn't dead. He's just asleep. He will rise again. And, and this is how you know she didn't see him. 
She didn't see him. She couldn't see that he'd come to do something bigger. She couldn't see that he had come with something greater. She saw her friend coming to memorialize another friend. She didn't see him as a savior who had come to raise Lazarus from the dead. She says, I know he'll rise again in the last day and the, the resurrection. Jesus says, no, I am the resurrection. Don't you see that? I am the resurrection. What happened to her is what happens to most of us. And it's what I call four days. Four days. He had been dead for four days. And in her mind, her timeline of him coming to save the day had expired. If he would have come several days before, she would have believed that he could raise him from the dead. She, could have, she would have believed that he would have healed her. But since he came four days after he was dead, it didn't even cross her mind that he could still raise him from the dead. Because in her mind, because her timeline had expired, his godness had expired. His sovereignty has expired. She didn't even see him for the Christ and for the power that he had come to bring because too much time had passed by. Be careful, friends. Be, be careful. Podcast friends, be careful that your timeline doesn't somehow dictate God's godness. Don't don't assume that just because your expiration date has gone by that God's sovereignty has expired. No, he is still able. Some of you got a timeline on God. And I'm telling you, the worst thing you can do in the waiting room is put that clock on the wall and just look at it. First, worst thing you can do and and, and worst thing you can do is say, if it doesn't happen by this date, it's not going to happen. Who are you to dictate the sovereignty of God and how and when he chooses to show up? Some of you think you've missed the window. Some of you think you're too late. Some of you think the time has expired and you have assumed that God is still no longer able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all that you could ask or think. You better get that clock off God. He doesn't sit under time. He stands outside of time. He is omnipresent. He is he is omnipotent. He stands outside of time. So don't let your clock dictate God's ability. Yeah, you missed the window to go to school when you was 18 and 19 and here you are 30 something. God is still able. You can still get that degree. Yeah, you single and you didn't hit the mid 40s and you thinking the timeline has expired, but you believe in God for a husband, but you giving up. Not no, God can give you a man. God can give you a wife. God can still meet those prayers according to his will. Don't give up. Some of you looked at your kids. He's like, they ain't got it by now. They ain't going to get it. Let me tell you something. I was a late bloomer. I didn't get it. I still ain't got it, but I'm still believing God. Don't put a timeline on him. Martha looked at him and thought, if you was here a couple of weeks ago, if you was here days ago, then I'd be excited because you could heal him. But now because you've come and he's been dead for four days, somehow his power is no longer sufficient because he didn't come according to your timeline. Martha, he could have showed up on the 10th day and he could still raise him from the dead. I'm telling you, don't give up. In the waiting room, you need to be okay knowing that he's okay with you being there. But number two, don't you give up in the waiting room. Don't you stop believing. And don't you allow your timeline. You needed a job by Monday. And you didn't get the call. Don't you allow your timeline to somehow disqualify God. 
Put your timeline down and put your faith and your expectation up and say, God, I trust you. I'm not marking time in the waiting room. I'm going to mark my faith in the waiting room. And God, my faith will be marked by your presence. Don't let the timeline disqualify God in your mind. Mary then comes and she comes with the same accusation. She's just as angry. If you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. And there and there they go. They, they hit him up. Boom, boom. And then Jesus says something so powerful. He says, show me where you laid him. Show me where you stopped believing that I was going to come. Show me where you lost hope in my ability. Show me where you put the stone over the grave and you thought Jesus has no power to overcome the death. Show me where you stopped believing. Show me where you gave up. And then it happens. And then it happens. Jesus sees the people, sees them weeping, sees where they laid him. And the Bible says Jesus wept. Now, if you anything like me, you're thinking, why are you crying? We know what you're about to do. You're about to raise Lazarus from the dead. You're about to give them the very thing that they want. Why are you crying? Why, why are you taking up time? You could get to the celebration sooner if you didn't cry. You adding more scriptures to the passage. We could have cut a couple of scriptures, saved a couple of trees if you just stopped crying and just come on, get over here and raise him from the dead. Let's pop the bottles. Let's get the party started. Why are you crying? Could it be that he's God enough to raise him from the dead and at the same time father enough to weep with his hurting girls? The Bible says in John chapter 11 that he was moved in his spirit with compassion, but it also says that he was grieved, that he was troubled. He was troubled. Now, theologians have several perspectives here, but I would argue um, that Jesus sees their disbelief. He sees their inability to see him for the Savior that he is. And this is significant because these are his friends. They know him. They love him deeply. They have this deep relationship. And I believe he looks at them and sees their doubt in him. And he weeps because he's troubled. And their lack of faith grieved him. We're always talking about how we're grieved and how we're struggling and how we feel. Have you ever stopped to think about how Jesus feels? Here you are in this waiting room. And as he looks at his loved one, as he looks at you, as he looks at the one that he's provided for over and over again, as he looks at the one that he's loved over and over again, as he looks at you, all he sees is your doubt. All he sees is your disbelief. All he sees is the alarm clock going off because your timeline has expired and you don't even see him as being able anymore. And he weeps. He grieves the lack of faith that his friends have in him. One of the worst things you can do while you're in the waiting room is to grieve him. 
because you don't believe him. This is not the time or the place to stop believing in your friend, Jesus. This is not the time or the place for you to bury stuff that you think is dead, but he's already told you it's just sleeping. It'll live again. It'll rise again. Some of you right now, you're listening, you're running on a treadmill, you're driving in a car, you're supposed to be working and you're sitting at that desk and you got these earphones in your ear and you ain't doing no work, but you're listening in, in, in the spirit of the living God is speaking to you. And I'm telling you, some of you think it's dead and I'm telling you it ain't dead. It's just sleeping. It's one word away from resurrection. So when Jesus looks at you, Now's not the time to grieve him because you don't believe him. Now's the time to see him for the God that he is, for the savior that he is. Stop allowing your timeline to dictate your disposition in this season. Stop allowing the waiting room to become this place of frustration as opposed to allowing it to become this place of opportunity. God is okay with you being here. He is present with you being here. What would it mean for you not to grieve him because you don't believe him, but for you to see him for the savior that he is right here in the waiting room? He ain't raised nothing up. He ain't moved a stone yet right here. The waiting room is not the place to make Jesus weep. Don't grieve him. See him. If you're in the waiting room, I encourage you, open your eyes. There's a savior who has come, not a friend who's come to mourn the loss, but a savior who's come to raise the dead. Don't miss who's come to see about you in the waiting room. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Albert Tate podcast. To stay connected, make sure to subscribe to the Albert Tate channel, rate and review this episode, and make sure to share on your social media platforms. You can follow along with Albert on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Once again, thank you for tuning in to this week's episode, and we'll see you next time.